we're going to commit to three questions. And those three questions are, Lord, what are you revealing concerning yourself today? The second question we're going to ask is, Lord, what are you revealing concerning people? What are you revealing concerning people? And then the third question that we're going to ask today is, Lord, what are you revealing concerning me? Those are the three questions that we are going to address today as we prayerfully hear from God in the reading of the scripture. We got our coffee. We got our Bible. We are ready to go. So let's do it. Let's make it happen. Um, before I pray, I just want to, first of all, thank all my patrons, all of you who are supporting me on Patreon. I want to thank you guys. Thank you immensely for your support. It's your support that's going to allow us to be able to expand what we're doing moving forward. And yes, we are, I believe, maybe I think 2% of our patrons away before we start uh, engaging in a monthly Bible study. So I'm really excited about that, that we have that opportunity to do that. So anyway, if you're interested in becoming a patron, just click the link in the bio. But uh, but right now, all we want to do is, is we want to spend time in reflection. And so this isn't a Bible study, but it is a reflection, and we're going to reflect on the scriptures. So um uh, actually, no, it's not 24. I apologize. Thank you for bringing that up. Thank you for bringing that up. We're in 22. That's why we're here. That's why you're here. You're here to tell me, hey, pastor, uh, no, we're not in 24. We're actually in 22. So I'm glad that you just did that. Um, all right, so let's get right to it and we'll get to reading the word. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you are present. You said where two or three are gathered in your name, you are in the midst. We thank you for your presence, Lord. We thank you, Father, that, Lord, you give us, Lord, um, the creativity, Lord, to come up and construe these technologies that you provide to us that allow us to come together and to gather in your name from all different parts of the world. And so here we are coming together to read your word. So, Father, bless us, Lord, as we read this word. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would inspire us today, Lord, with your word. Convict us with your word. Um, we pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself, reveal your people, <laughs> reveal in us what needs to be revealed. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's do it. Chapter 22. Um, and Lynn, I will be, we, we can talk about that in a few minutes after this. So, um, let's do it. First one, then David spoke to the Lord, the words of this song on the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength in whom I will trust my shield and my horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge. My Savior, you saved me from violence. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. When the waves of death surround me, the floods of ungodliness make me afraid. The sorrows of Shahul surround me, the snares of death confronted me. In my desire, I called upon the Lord and he cried out to my God. Sorry. In my, in my distress, goodness gracious, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry entered his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven quaked and were shaken because he was angry. 
Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring, fi devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. He made, dark, he made darkness canopies around him, dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. And from the brightness before him, the coals of fire were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning bolts, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were uncovered at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from above and took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the end of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and I have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and for his statutes I did not depart from them. I was also blameless before him. And I kept myself from iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his eyes. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. You will save the humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty that you may bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord shall enlighten my darkness. For you, I can, sorry, for by you, I can run against a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is rock except our God? God is my strength and my power, and he makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the, de like the feet of deer and sets me on high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend the bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me so my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them. Neither did I turn back again till they were destroyed. And I have destroyed them and wounded them so that they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet. For you have armed me with strength for battle. You have subdued under me those who rose against me. You have given me the necks of my enemies so that I destroyed those who hated me. They looked, but there was none to save, even the Lord, but he did not answer them. Then I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I trod them like the dirt in the streets, and I spread them out. You have also delivered me from the strivings of my people. You have kept me as the head of the nations. A people I have not known shall serve me. The foreigners submit to me. 
As soon as they hear, they obey me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened from their hideous. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up, those who rise. Sorry, you also lift me up above those who rise up against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. He is the tower of salvation to his king. And he shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. Second Samuel 23. Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel The rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men may be just, must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning with clouds like the tender grass springing out of the earth, by clear shining after rain. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made me with everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desires. Will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and and the shaft of a spear, and they shall utterly be burned with fire in their place. Verse 8, these are the name of the mighty men whom David had, Josheb, Bashabeth, of Tachmanite, the, sorry, the, the Tachmanite, chief among the captains. He was also called Adino, the Esnite, because he had killed 800 men at one time. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahoite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle and the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand struck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils, so the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines, and the Lord brought about a great victory. Then three of the thirty chief men went down at the harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is in the gate. 
So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief of another three. He lifted a spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. Was he not the most honored of the three? Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from, Ke- from Kebzio, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, Jehoiada, sorry, did, and won a name among three mighty men. He was more honored than the thirty, but he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. Asael, the brother of Joab, was one of thirty. Elhanah, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem. Shammah, the Herodite. Elikah, the Herodite. Halez, the Paltite. Ira, the son of Ikesh, the Tekoite. Ebiezer, the Anathathite. Mebunai, the Hushathite. Zalman, the Ahuhite. Mahara, the Netophathite, Heleb, the son of Baana, the Netophathite, Etai, the son of Rabai, from, Gib- from Gibeah, of the children of Benjamin, Benaiah, a Parathonite, Hediah, from the brooks of Gosh, Abi Albon, the Arabathite, Asmaveth, the Bahamite, Eliaba, the Shalbonite, the Shalbonite, sorry, the sons of Jashin, Jonah, Shama, the Herotite, the Herorite, Ahim, the son of Sharar, the Herorite, Eliphalet, the son of Ahaz- Ahasbai, the son of the Machathite, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite, Hezrai, the Carmelite, Parai, the Arbite, Egal, the son of Nathan of Zobah, Bani, the Gadite, Zelik, the Ammonite, Zaharai, the Beerthite, armor bearer of Joab, the son of Zerah, Ira, the, the Ithrite, Gerib, the Ithrite, and Uriah, the Hittite, 37 in all. 37 in all. 324, and then we'll stop there. Again, the anger of the Lord aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. 
So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Now go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count the people, that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than they are. And may the eyes of the Lord the king see it. But why does the Lord the king desire this thing? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. Therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. And they crossed over the Jordan and camped in Aror, on the right side of the town, which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad and towards Jazer. Then they came to Gilead and to the land of Tatim, Tatim Hodshi. They came to Dan, Jan, and around to Sidon. And they came to the stronghold of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. Then they went out to south Judah as far as Beersheba. So when they had gone out through the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now I pray, O Lord, take the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. That David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things, choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it for you. So Gad came to David and told him and said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Or shall three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days of plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I'm in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent the plague upon Israel from morning until the appointed time. From Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died. And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and sent an angel who was destroying the people. It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arunai, the Jebusite. Then David struck to the Lord. Sorry. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, against be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arunai, the Jebusite. So David, according to the word of God, went up as the Lord commanded, and Arunah looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. 
So Arunel went out, bowed before the king with his face on the ground. And Arunel said, why has my Lord come to this servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Arunah said to David, let the Lord, the king, take and offer up what seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifice and the threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All these, O king, Aruna has given to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. And the king said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt sacrifices to the Lord my God, with which cost me nothing. So David brought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. And David built there an altar and burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers of the land. And the plague was withdrawn from Israel. And the plague was withdrawn for Israel. Father, I just ask that you would speak to us, Lord, today. Um, even in the few minutes that we're just reflecting on your scripture, I just ask, Lord, that you would uh, give us insight, give us understanding, give us give us clarity today as we engage in your word. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. There is uh, so much here. I think I say that almost every time now. I think I, I think it's a normal thing now when I say there's so much here, right? The uh, the Bible study teacher in me wants to just go, okay, let's just break down every part of this text so that it would make sense to everybody. And yes, there's a space for that. But I think, as I'd mentioned before, the most important thing for those of you who are who have been engaged with me in this time in the scriptures, you know that the most important thing that we do here is simply expose ourselves to the totality of the scripture. Because I think the most dangerous thing that any believer can do and any Christian can do, the most dangerous thing that any Christian can do is to study a portion of scripture without reading the entire scripture. I think it's dangerous. And it's, a, it's, and it's, the, it's the unfortunate uh, travesty that we see in our church today. That we have preachers who preach scriptures from a vacuum. We have uh, people who study scripture from a vacuum. They'll study a verse, and then once they study the verse, they're like, okay, what is God saying? And then they break down the verse, they break down, they start breaking down the words, and they start, and so they, they're unpacking a portion of scripture without the big picture in mind, without the entire Bible in mind. First travesty. The second travesty is, is that for many, when they read the Bible, they read it as an instruction book for their lives. 
or they read it as an instruction book, primarily as an instruction book for their spiritual lives. And in doing so, what they treat the Bible as is a textbook. They treat the Bible as if it's a spiritual textbook. And of course, we do that because, of course, we do something called Bible study. (laughs) And so when we do Bible study, we often find ourselves approaching the Bible like it's a textbook. And so because we approach it like it's a textbook, rather than seeing what the book is actually saying and what the book is about, we're trying to dig out information about the text that doesn't lead us to the whole purpose of the text itself. You understand that there's a difference between reading a book of rules and reading a story. There's a difference between reading um, an instruction manual and a story. And yet the Bible is uniquely written to to reveal to you a story that begins from the beginning of all things and ends with the end of all things on earth. The beginning of all things on earth and the end of all things on earth. The Bible has actually been, it's been uniquely written and organized. I want to make sure you guys understand that. The scripture was also organized. I don't know why I'm saying this, but I, you know, I'm just being led. Guys, this is, the, this is a rant. So if you're looking for something cohesive in all of this, get where the Lord is leading. I have somewhere where, I, where the Lord is really compelling me this morning and, and inspiring me this morning. But I have nothing prepared. I'm just kind of just going with whatever thoughts come to me as we read, because it's, that's why I call it a rant. So keep your expectations low, right? Um, but but if you if you read the scriptures from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, and now we're in 2 Samuel, when you're reading through this thread of scripture, and as we continue to read moving forward, I want you to understand that the Bible is not written in a chronological order. It's not chronological in its authorship, and it's not chronological even in um, in the stories that we see, in the sense that there are things happening in one book that are overlapping with things happening in another book. For example, when we read Judges, we're reading the we're reading about the moral decline, the moral depravity of the children of Israel who are called by God, right? So we're reading the moral decline, the moral depravity of the children of Israel called by God. But then on the flip side, we read Ruth and the timing of the book of Ruth is is it coincides with the book of Judges. So it's not like it's one after the other, after the other, after the other. No, this is a story and a plot. Does anybody understand that? So therefore, if it's a story, then we have to know what is the story about. 
the gospels. Yep. The gospels are overlapping. Even when we read, for example, the book of Job, the book of Job is the oldest written book in the Bible. And yet it's not the first book in the Bible. Right. And it's also, Job is, is also not, um, it's not chronological, not even chronological in its authorship, but it's not chronological in its timing, right? Because Job came way before the other characters that we know in the Bible, okay? So now here I am, right? And I find myself here and I'm, I'm reading this story. And now we're, we just finished Second Samuel, guys. This is powerful, y'all. We just finished Second Samuel. Tomorrow we start First Kings. But if we're closing out Second Samuel, right, we're seeing we're seeing a chapter of a story come to an end. And what I love that's happening throughout this, and maybe you're going to begin to understand. I hope you can enter into the mind and the heart of a Hebrew person. And remember, I, I want you to enter into the mind and the heart of a Hebrew person. Yes, you're not going to fully understand Hebrew culture. We don't have the time to do that here. You're not going to fully understand Hebrew context. I get that. You're not going to fully understand all that. But please, back up for a second. And remember what I said to you a few, a few, uh, maybe about a month or two ago, a few months ago. And I said to you that you you need to have the right hermeneutic when you read the scripture. You need to have the right lens when you read the scripture. And the way you ought to read the scripture is you do not read the text as if it's written directly to you, but rather written for you. Say that one more time. It's not written to you, but it's written for you. Remember, I've said this multiple times and I say it over and over again because it gives you the right posture for how you ought to read the Bible. It's not written to you, it's written for you. So then if it's not written to you, the question is, who is it written to and for what reason was it written? Because once you know who it was written to and you know why it was written, then you'll understand how then it applies to you because it does. It applies to all of humanity. We read from the beginning from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and what I've been trying to say, and hopefully you guys have been hearing it, is that this scripture, this text, these books that you have been reading, you ought to read it as if it was an ancient Israelite, an ancient Hebrew person writing to the ancient Hebrews. Context, guys context. It was written by the Israelites to the Israelites. Are y'all with me? It's written by the Israelites to the Israelites. So if it's written by the Israelites and written to the Israelites, then what is their language? What is their understanding? What is their perception? What does it mean? What are the implications of what this guy is saying when he's saying it to another guy? Because what one Israelite says to another can be different than what a Greek man says to another. It'll be different than what a Jamaican says to another. I'm sorry, I know this isn't Bible study, but I have to uh, make sure I posture you in the right way because so far we have to understand that the, the, the light of the story is shining on a particular people. It is the Hebrews. 
It's the Israelites. The light of the story is written to the Israelites, and we get the privilege as Gentiles. We have the privilege of watching God unravel his story of redemption for all of humanity and for all people through these people that he has chosen. God chose the Hebrews and he chose the Hebrews and he chose the Israelites not to instigate and enact political power. He did not choose them for them to be, for the Israelites to be wealthy, for the Hebrews to be rich. He didn't, his primary task for them was not to gain power or military might or influence. That was not the purpose of the Israelites. The purpose of the Israelites was to be a nation of priests. We read this. We've been reading all the way up. If you've been following me, you know this, that they've been called to be a nation of priests. And the story here, and I want to make sure you understand this, and the story, if you notice, every book is ending with not a resolution, but every book is ending with a tension. From Genesis, it ends with attention. God calls Abraham. Abraham is called to father many nations, not just one nation, but he's called to father many nations. And so that's exactly what he does. He fathers many nations because from Abraham and through Abraham, God gave the promise. God gave the promise of redemption. God gave the promise of instituting righteousness and justice, bringing his kingdom on earth through these people. Abraham. From Abraham came Isaac, and from Isaac came Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Now Israel had 12 sons, and these 12 sons became the 12 tribes, and the 12 tribes became twelve na- became one nation. These 12 tribes now find themselves here. We go from Abraham to Egypt, and then Moses then walks the people out of Egypt. These people, right? So, so we go from Abraham, and then we get to Moses, and then from Moses we get to Joshua. Joshua in the book of Numbers now leads the people into the land that was promised to them, that they would establish this nation on this land, meaning there was a territory that God was setting aside to be the new Eden on earth to establish his rule and justice. And so he gave them the law. The law that we read in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, this law was not written to you. It was not written to Christians. It was not written to all people. Actually, it was written particularly and specifically to the children of Israel, not to Christians. We sometimes read those as if they're rules that Christians ought to follow in order to go to heaven. And yet, no, that was not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to reveal the holiness and the righteousness of God through these people. God wanted to reveal himself through a people that he set aside, call them to be separate, call them to be holy, to bring the righteousness and justice on earth. But we know how that ends. Because in the book of Joshua, they go into the land. Now, Joshua is leading them in. They subdue the land. And once they subdue the land, we know what happens next. Instead of being the holy nation called and separated by God, these people now have become a nation, not of priests, but a nation similar to the Canaanites that were around them. They were influenced by the Canaanites rather than being an influence to the Canaanite. And so now, It is absolutely written for everyone, but it was not written to everyone. There's a difference. And so now, so now we see this nation of priests who have fallen into moral 
depravity and in their moral debasement. God, who instituted Leviticus from the beginning, gave them access into the presence of God through the covenant of the sacrifice. We call that the atonement. And it's through the atonement that now they've been given access back to God. And here we are, family, here we are at this part of the story. Because now a nation is being established. And when the nation is being established, Samuel was called to be the prophet because we know that before the king must come a prophet. We know what's happened now. As we've been reading every book, they pay very close attention, family. As we've been reading every book, there's always attention. At the end of Genesis, the children of Israel have entered into Egypt. There's no place for a kingdom there. At the, at the end of uh, Exodus, we see attention that they're stuck at Mount Sinai. They have not gotten to the place God has promised them, even though they're at the mountain of God, where the law and the covenant was being instituted. So the Exodus ends with a tension that there's a law that has been given, a covenant, because there's a difference in covenant and law. The covenant was the promise that God made through the people. The law was the means by which they would fulfill the covenant. And yet now, here we are, a tension at the end of Exodus. Notice from book to book, we're left with attention. There's no resolution. Then after Exodus came Leviticus, because these people, while they were given the law, weren't given act, they, they continued to break the law. And because they broke the law, God who is holy and righteous, but God who is also loving and merciful and gracious gave them Leviticus. He put in the law a way to get out of the consequences of the law. He gave them the atonement. It was the law, but now he added amendments to the law because that's what God does. God never cared about you being obedient to him. God cares more about us being in relationship with him. Sometimes we we treat God as if we've got to be obedient, like we have to obey him, that God just wants our obedience. And yes, he does, but God doesn't just want our compliance. He wants our heart. He wants us to be in relationship with him. It is out of our love for him that we transform in being able to live how we ought to live. And often many of us are trying to simply change the way we live and behave. So let's follow the laws of the Bible, not realizing that many of us will follow the laws of the Bible and not know God, because salvation is not based off of your capacity to follow what the Bible says. Salvation in the scriptures is about knowing God. As a matter of fact, that scripture, Romans chapter 5, says that this is salvation, that they may know God. So we're called to know him. He wants to know us, and he wants us to know him. So it wasn't just about us following the rules. That's right. It's not just about us following the rules, but it's about us knowing him and having a relationship with him. And so now God gives us Leviticus, and Leviticus ends with them finally having access back into the presence of God. Leviticus opens up with them not being able to enter into the temple, and Leviticus ends with the sacrifice giving being given access back to God. Leviticus was all about how these unholy, stiff-necked, unrighteous people can be brought back into the presence of God even when they continually disobey over and over and over again. God had already put in the plan. He baked in the plan what he would do to allow people to stay in his presence even when they sinned over and over again. Every time they sinned, they would come to God with the sacrifice. Every time they sinned, they would come with the blood sacrifice. Every time they sinned, they would come with the blood because the life is in the blood, giving access back to God. This is just a quick, this is just a quick recap because I want you to see where we're at. Um, um, Leviticus ends with attention. 
because now they've been given access back to the presence of God, but God didn't want to stay on the mountain. God wanted to establish himself on the land that was promised to them. So they built the tabernacle, and the tabernacle was going to go with them because now the tabernacle represented the presence of God, and now God was going to tabernacle with them as they as they went to the land that was promised to them. Numbers begins with them now going on the road, and once they go on the road, Numbers ends with one generation of people being stiff-necked, not in simply their disobedience to God, but in their lack of faith. And because of their lack of faith, they would not go into the promised land. It's the next generation after them that would. And so numbers ends with attention that they're in. Now they finally gotten to the river Jordan, but they have not yet entered into the land. Then Joshua comes in and Joshua, they, they take over. We, we know what happens in Joshua because we read it. And then after Joshua, Joshua ends with attention that they are in the land, but now they lack leadership. So then the book of Judges begins, where we see now, because they're already being influenced by Canaan, that they fall into captivity, and God calls these judges, these these imperfect people. And we see the judges start off pretty good, right, with Deborah, and then they end pretty bad. Both Neil, Deborah, and then they end pretty bad. Didn't end from well for many of the judges. And so in the end, Judges ends with a people who are living in total moral depravity, and yet they've been called by God. These were the people who are chosen and called by God, and yet they are living like the Canaanites in total moral depravity. Anything that was bad in the world was living through Israel. Yes, all of it, from rape, sex trafficking, abuse, political instability, war, murder, the worship of Canaanite gods, all of it was Israel at the end of the book of Judges. And Judges ends with, and you're going to see me bring this up over and over again, Judges ends with attention. Genesis ends with attention. Exodus ends with attention. Leviticus ends with attention. Numbers ends with attention. Deuteronomy ends with attention. Joshua ends with attention. Judges ends with attention that there is no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There is no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so then 1 Samuel comes the prophet. Israel needs a king. Israel chooses Saul. (laughs) Saul falls profoundly short of that. And here we are now, at the end of 1 Samuel, finding the tension of Saul wasn't the answer because Saul looked good to everybody to be the king. But God chose David. He's the man after God's own heart. And so Samuel ends with that tension, and the tension is resolved at the beginning of 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel, David becomes the king chosen by God, but David is chosen, but David is far from perfect. David starts off well, but David doesn't end well. And now we find ourselves at this part of the story, that at the end of 2 Samuel, we're still left with attention. David was just filling in, holding the spot for a king 
that is to come. I want you to soak on that for a minute. Because we see David, he starts off real good. Ah, but then David falls into decline. David falls into a whole bunch of mess with family. He falls into all of that. And even though in the end, God restores his kingdom, David has suffered a lot of bruises and cuts. He's taken a beating along the way. David is at the end of his life. He's at the end of his his uh, his rule. And we find now at the end of his rule, in David's last days, David is enjoying the victories that God has done through him. And that's what we read here. The praises. I mean, we just read that, right? In chapter 22, David is praising the Lord in chapter 22. That's what we just read. Praising the Lord for his breakthrough and his deliverance. You are my lamp, O Lord. Verse 29, the Lord shall enlighten my darkness. David knows that God has done. He says, God is my strength and power, and he makes my way perfect. In verse 35, he teaches my hands to make war so the arms can bend the bow of bronze. He's saying, I, you know, I find it funny that, <laughs> I guess this is maybe... Maybe it's my culture, but when when you read that verse, they say he teaches my hands to make war. Everybody thinks that he's talking about praise, so they start clapping. Praise. No, no, no. Teaching my hands to make war means to literally take up swords and to fight and to wage war and to win them. David was conquering regions and territories, preserving regions and territories because God taught his hands to make war. David is acknowledging something. And then he says in verse 47, the Lord lives, blessed be my rock, that the God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. Here's where David's at. David's gone to a place where he is so broken and he's broken in his success. Yeah, he can throw them hands. I love that. That's good. That's funny. <laughs> throw them hands. Yeah. That's literally what it meant. It didn't mean it didn't mean clap clap to a praise song. It literally meant he knew how to throw hands. He's like, Lord, you taught me how to throw them bows. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I had to get that out. I had to get that out. Uh, David is at the end of he's he's at the twilight of his life, and he's looking at his life. And David is seeing that this success that I have has very little to do with me. This song of praise and this song of deliverance is one that says the Lord has preserved me up to this point. It is the Lord that gave me this. My victories in the past have very little to do with what I could do on my own, but everything to do with what God has done through me. I didn't get here on my own. David is making those who read this text aware. David is saying, I'm singing praise to God because my deliverance, my breakthrough, even the Lord delivering the kingdom to me had nothing to do 
with what I did. Me even getting to where I am has nothing to do with me. Me getting to this position and this status has nothing to do with me, has very little to do with me. I read this and I'm hearing all David speak about all of his successes up to this point. David is reflecting on his successes, but he's not forgetting that these successes that he has had in the Lord has very little to do with him. And everything to do with God. He taught my hands to make war. I didn't know how to throw. I didn't know how to throw. I was a little shepherd boy. And then I became a warrior. I think we forget sometimes how much of a enigma David was. How many shepherd boys do you know who didn't train for battle became great warriors? How many do you know? When, when they talk about the great kings and the great warrior kings, these powerful kings who, who would go into battle and kill hundreds, these guys were trained with the sword from the gate. David is an enigma. David wasn't born with this. He wasn't born into royalty. He wasn't born into royal blood. And yet David has been given this, all this success, the success of kings who were born into these things. And yet David is saying, he taught my hands to make war. How many of us, just a quick side note, and then I'm going to close with my closing thought because we're seeing where the tension ends here. How many of us actually credit God for the successes in our life. You know, we live in a day and age today where if we've succeeded, it's because of our talent. It's because of our ability. It's because of the fact that we've worked hard. It's because, you know, I hustle hard and I, man, I put that work in. If I didn't work this hard, I wouldn't have gotten here. There are people who, who credit their success, their wealth. They credit their <clears throat> promotion. They credit the positions that they've been given. They, 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 they've credited all that to, man, my hard work and my gift and my talent and my ability. Were you born with that gift? Who gets the credit? for your success who is is it you like who, who gets the credit what's going on dario who, who gets the credit for your promotions in your life who gets the credit for the children that god has blessed you with who gets the credit for your who, who gets the credit You know what I find? I find God has a way of pouring out power and blessing through people who will give him credit for what he's done. And he didn't say, I pulled out the sword and I murked a whole bunch of people and I did it. No, he said, he taught my hands, trained my hands to make war. God did this. Because what God wants is his glory. I'm sorry if if you guys realize this, as I'm getting to a place where we're beginning to realize more and more it's not about you. But God 
is teaching us that he wants, he want, he's created all things for his glory. All things exist to glorify him. This is Colossians. It all exists to give him glory. It's all, it all exists to magnify him and to lift him up. Your life, you exist to give him glory. And the, the interesting thing with God is God gets the glory regardless. I think sometimes we ask some questions that maybe, yeah, deep down inside is a deep question of our heart. But the question is, is even deeper than that is, where is the question coming from? Is it coming from simply me wanting to live my life in my comfort, in my way? Or is it a question that's rooted in the reality that I want to glorify God in everything I do? Like, does God get glory through your pain? Does God get glory through your suffering? Does God get glory through your victory? Does God get glory? I, he, he says at the end, the Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. David is not talking about his promotion in light of his name and his title, but he's saying, no, 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 this is about a living God who's living through me. This is about a living God who gets the glory in all things. This is not about my name. It's not about my title. It's not about my glory. God has restored this kingdom so he can be glorified through me because at the end of the day, this kingdom was never my kingdom. This kingdom was something that God entrusted me with to rule for his glory. You know what's crazy, family? What's crazy is, is that for a lot of us, we don't realize that what's suffocating and prohibiting the power of God and the opportunities that God wants to give through you is that you're still making this about yourself. You're still making it about yourself when really it was always about the glory of God. Do you know what kind of freedom it is to go, man, Lord, everything you've given to me is for your glory. All I am is a steward of the opportunities that you've given me. David has been handed a life. I hope y'all get where I'm at, y'all family. David did not work for any of this. David was a poor little shepherd's boy. David was handed this life. Okay, his victory over Goliath was handed to him. This was about the power of God. The text tells us it wasn't David, it was the Spirit of God that came upon him that caused him to strike Goliath. This was all about God. David was part of a bigger story. David's just a steward. For the millionaire in the room who's watching, the money's not yours. I know this makes people uncomfortable, but it's not yours. For the for the influencer right now, there are those right now. You got 500,000 followers on TikTok. Are those your followers? I look at even the people that the Lord has brought alongside with me. It's not mine. The platform that God gave me, it's not mine. You know how much freedom that gives me to know that God didn't that, that God is the one who handed this to me? It wasn't by my ability, by my skill, by my title, but by my humility. Not my not by my ability, but by my humility to say, Lord, this ain't mine. So Lord, I'm trusting you through this. I'm I'm leaning on you through this. Lord, this is yours. If all of this is gone, it doesn't take anything away from me because you live. Blessed be the rock. Blessed be the God who ought to be exalted, the rock of my salvation. And Lord, if you aren't exalted through my finances, if you're not exalted through my marriage, if you're not exalted through my career, if you're not exalted through my platform on social media, if you're not exalted through all the things that I'm doing, if you're not exalted through my business, if you're not exalted through that, Lord, what purpose does it have? What's the purpose of it? Why does it even matter? It doesn't. (laughs) 
It doesn't because it all exists to glorify him. And yet God has a way of preserving the things of influence in this world for his glory. That's why he gave it to David. He preserved the kingdom for his glory. Saul couldn't hold on to it. And that's the difference between David and Saul. Saul could not hold on to a kingdom that he made his own and not God's. And not, I'm, I know I'm full-blown rant, but remember what we said before is the reason why Saul fell. Saul's decline came because his eyes were on David. His eyes went from the kingdom to David because Saul wasn't about the kingdom. Saul was about his name in the kingdom. Saul wasn't about being a steward of the kingdom that God gave him. Saul was about, this is my kingdom and my name. And now David is the one who's desired above all. But who does David think he is? I need to get rid of David because I have to preserve my position. That's the pride of today's culture and society. We are fighting for position and title. And yet there are those where you will look and you'll say, how did they get there? You know what's funny? Is I have people who come to me on the regular and say, how did this happen? Like, what are you doing? And I think sometimes people think I'm being disingenuous when I say, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing, fam. Even as I'm here, I don't know what I'm doing. Starting the podcast, I don't know what I'm doing. Reaching out and, and, and ministering, I don't know. When, when I say I don't know what I'm doing, what I'm saying is I did not strategize. I did not plan this. I did not have a strategy. I didn't have an approach. You know what I did? I simply gave what God gave me back to him. And said, Lord, be glorified through my life, be glorified through my marriage, be glorified through my kids. You know, actually being able to entrust God with the ministry has allowed me to loosen my grip on ministry. And it's in loosening my grip on ministry that the Lord now is giving me this unique privilege of seeing how he moves when I just let go. How he moves when I just release it to him. How he moves when I say, you know what, I'm not stressing myself about a church that's the Lord's. I'm not going to sacrifice my kids for ministry. I'm not going to sacrifice my marriage for ministry. I'm going to let it go. Because the reality is, is that if the kingdom remains in my hands, if this kingdom that God has, has entrusted me with, if it remains in my hands, it's only because I have let it go to glorify him. God can trust you. You know, the more title, position you have, I want you to change your perspective and see it as the more God has trusted you to give him glory. You know that there's a, and this is just a side note, and I'm going to give my final thought because we want to talk about the final tension as we go into Second Kings. You know what, what really, um, and I'm just going to share my heart for a moment. I, I know some people, they, they look at, you know, what's happening on TikTok or on social media. I've been on TikTok for exactly a year. This week has made it a year since I've been on TikTok. This year, this week has made it a year since I've been on TikTok. And I still haven't been able to make sense of the fact that I have, you know, 400, almost 460,000 followers on TikTok. I haven't made, it's really hard to conceptualize that. Okay. 
I know some people might have a million followers and all that, but I hope you guys understand like that's that's an uncountable number of people who follow you and and I, and 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 now I'm on Instagram and probably by the end of this week I'll be at 30,000 followers on Instagram and I started my Instagram 4 months ago well, almost 5 months ago now 5 months ago I said you know what let me start an Instagram I was never a social media guy I was never into all of that and I will say this family that the Lord is waking me up to a reality today. That as as the platform and as my platform is growing, He's giving me more responsibility. And there's a burden in that because I'm realizing now that God is trusting me through my humility. I say this to come to you. I'm not an expert in all things. I wouldn't even I, I I wouldn't even call myself an expert of scripture. I'm a forever. I will forever be a student of scripture. I can share with you what I've learned and what the Lord has taught me, but I've always been one who never comes at others as if I know all things. I'm just a disciple of Jesus Christ looking to understand and to love those and 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 so I'm I'm not a, I'm not an expert at all. I'm just here to share where the Lord is leading and the word that God is inspiring me with. And yet here I have this platform that's growing. Everybody wants to know what my strategy is. And honestly, my strategy is authenticity and humility. What you see here is what you get. I can't be Saul. As a matter of fact, I never was Saul. I was the shepherd boy. I wasn't on social media like that. I I wasn't on, you know, TikTok and people call I'm being called a a Christian influencer. And I go, "What is that?" <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I'm just a child of God. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, and if God is giving me influence, I take it with so much responsibility because this kingdom is not mine. Here's the beauty of it is if God takes all of it away, I'm okay with that too. Because He is my rock. He is my salvation. If God blesses me with a big platform, I'm not going to live worried about making sure people get happy. I know there are people here who follow me, who come to the Read and Rant, on a regular, let's just be real, on the regular. And I've probably said some things that have upset you. And yet you're still here. And I'm grateful that you're here because I hope you see that I love you, even though I'll tell you some things that might get you hot and might get you mad and might upset you. But I love that you're here. And I know that you know that and that you see that. And all I'm saying is, in all of that is, I, I can lose it all today. And that doesn't bother me. If I still have it, it's because God still trusts me. And if at some point God says, Isaac, you're not leading my people where I need them to go, then you know what? I'm okay with the Lord because I'd rather be his son and in his, in relationship with him than to have a platform. So yes, I'm going to take what the Lord is giving me in this moment 
with incredible responsibility. I feel, I feel beholden to God for this platform. And the thing is, is that I know because I didn't do any of this, the same way David has celebrated success, I didn't get here on my own. I didn't do any of this on my own. Guess what? Because I didn't do any any of this on my own, I know that it's not my ability that's going to sustain me here. It's not my capacity that's going to sustain me here. It's not my communication skills that's going to sustain me here. It's not my deep understanding of scripture that's going to sustain me here. It's only because the Lord has entrusted me. And so if anybody comes against it, let God have his way. Side note, I had an Instagram for seven years. I had an Instagram for seven years. And around the time that I started TikTok, I'm just going to use an example because I want you to understand this. Around the time that I started the TikTok, someone hacked into my IG. And at the time, I might have had a thousand followers on TikTok. And someone hacked into my IG. They changed my password and then they started sending requests out. Now, I had a TikTok for seven, sorry, an Instagram for seven years. And I had about 3,000 followers for seven years. The account was hacked and deleted. And you know what I said? I, I sent messages to, 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 to TikTok. I was like, hey, um, um, I want my Isaac Frere TikTok back. I mean, uh, um, Instagram. I want my Isaac Frere Instagram back. Give me my Isaac Frere Instagram back. I sent a few messages. Went through a whole process to verify. They couldn't verify me. And eventually, they just ignored my request because I kept asking it over and over again and over and over again. And finally, I, you know, I said, I said, you know what? If they took my Isaac Frere Instagram, then so be it. Maybe God doesn't want me to have an IG right now. And you know what I did? I just ignored it. <laughs> Vanessa, remember that. I'm just using this as an example so you see how God works. And then, all of a sudden, this TikTok thing just starts to blow up, right? And then, four months ago, I was like, you know what? Let me start an Instagram. Let me just let me put my TikToks on Instagram because I never did those kind of videos until I did TikTok. So I put them on Instagram. I started putting different videos on Instagram. So sometimes the Instagram videos aren't the same ones that you see on TikTok. And so I started posting them there. And then, all of a sudden... Thousand followers in a day, two thousand followers in three days. I have thirty, almost thirty thousand followers. That happened in four months, and then I backed up and I realized this had nothing to do with the gift that was in me, nothing to do with my ability. What God is doing through you, family, has nothing to do with your ability, nothing to do with you. It is God moving through you. He has entrusted you. He believes in you and what you're called to do. Now watch this. Until you realize that you're just a part of the glory of God, and until you realize that it is the rock of your salvation to reveal his salvation to all humanity, Will you see God move in a way that will blow your mind? God actually wants to move through you in a way that will blow your mind. Watch this. And now unto him was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask for or think. Watch this. According to the power 
that worketh in you. God wants to work in you in a way that goes beyond your thinking capacity, beyond your imagination, beyond your facility. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor does it enter the heart of man, the things that God has in store for you. So here you see how God wants to actually move through you in a powerful way, but he's moving through you simply in your acknowledgement that he is the God of your salvation. The way you overcome that jewelry pop, if you're scared, you know the way you overcome that is to realize this isn't about you. People can judge your content. They can judge your material. They can judge whatever vision that God gives you. At the end of the day, it was never about you. So if anybody has a problem with what you say and the content and what you produce, then they need to go and address God about that. That's what it means to have a God conviction about what you're called to do. David's kingdom ends, and it ends with this tension. God, David has credited God with all his success. He's credited with all his success. And now we get to the end. And now we see that the tension still remains. There was no king in Israel. God called David, but David wasn't the answer. God called David and David wasn't the answer. David was just filling in a spot. No, there's actually one to come after David. We read that all. We already read that in chapter seven in this book. And now we get to the end. And there's David. And at the end of this chapter, David built there. Notice it's ending again with attention. And David built there an altar to the Lord and burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. David ends, we're seeing David at the end of his, of his rule. David's about to transition to another. But before he does, right, he does a census against God's precept. And after he does this census, God then gives him options for consequences. And David as a leader doesn't understand, or he does understand, and David sees the consequence of it. And for many of us, this is what we need to understand is when we're given stewardship over something, our sins against God affect those who we steward over. I know we live in a society today where it's, man, give me five more minutes, guys. I know I'm over. I'm way over time today. I guess it's because I'm out of town. And because I'm tired and I haven't slept. But as leaders, we sometimes fail to realize that when we lead, the decisions we make, especially in regards to the people that we steward and lead, they affect the people we lead and they can cause pain and suffering to the people we lead. David has made David has disobeyed against God's precept, God's justice, God's judgment. And in doing so, David has brought pain upon the people. Therefore, it's important for us to understand, sin is never personal. Let me repeat that. Sin, and I'll, let me expand that. Sin is never exclusively personal. 
Sin is never exclusively personal. Sin is always both personal and corporate. Sin is always both both personal and corporate. David's sin has a personal consequence, but it also has a corporate consequence. Don't ever think that when you sin, that somehow you're only hurting yourself. Your sin affects the trajectory of grace on the earth. Sin is never personal. Sin is exclusively personal. Sin is always personal and corporate. If you understand sin is personal and corporate, then understand that salvation also is never exclusively personal. Salvation is personal and corporate. You know, even in the United States, we have a big problem in the U.S. I know I have people from all over the world, and maybe your, your country has this problem as well, as well, but we have a big problem in the United States. And the problem that we have in the United States is we have a problem of individualism. Oh, individualism is a killer right now. Individualism is what I believe is suffocating even the grace of God in the church of God because we brought individualistic ideologies into the church. And I always said this is scripturally that makes no sense because if sin, watch this now, if sin was only personal, like, you know, when people say things like, well, my parents did that, so this doesn't have to do with me because it was just my parents. You don't understand. Your parents' sins they affect you. And not only do they affect you, they affect those who they influence and their descendants. Or when somebody says, well, I'm doing my thing and living my own way, not realizing that your thing is going to affect your children and the children that they affect. You go, well, I I don't see that. If you don't see that, then maybe you don't understand the gospel. The scriptures say by one man, sin came into the world. We're suffering. Sin is never individual if sin was individual and that's the problem and i think that's why a lot of people have an issue with well if adam sinned <laughs> oh my gosh i'm in full rant right now i'm sorry if adam sinned then why do i have to pay the price for what adam did and i go oh you don't understand god you still think that sin is personal ah got you you still think that sin is based off of your own personal decisions got you because if you understood that sin is corporate, you'll understand then how we all have been connected in Christ, that we are all connected with one another, that we are actually all one. When one man, and by one man sin came into the world, by one man all have sinned. People go, no, but the sins of my parents don't affect me, so why do I have to suffer for what my parents did? You have to suffer for what your parents did because we all are suffering from what our parents did. But here's the confidence we have that if the sin of our parents affects us, then the sin of then the righteousness of one person can heal us all as well. Because salvation is also corporate and not just personal. God doesn't want to just save you individually. 
God wants to save all mankind. So God's not just about healing your heart. He's about healing your home. God's not just about healing your home. He's about healing the land. David's sin and his disobedience to God affected the land. And yet now David is coming before God, not just for his salvation, but through God forgiving him will the healing of the land come. I know it took me a while to get here because I ran. I've just been given the time. And so the healing of the land comes out of David's encounter with God. God is, David is bringing a sacrifice to God for sins that have been committed, that the land is being affected by, that didn't originate from the land. Yes, this plague and this pestilence came from the land. The land is affected by it. But now, David's going to come to the threshing floor and he's going to bring an altar to the threshing floor. And when he brings this altar to the threshing floor, through the sacrifice that is given at the altar through the threshing floor, the healing of the land will come. I'm going to leave you with attention here. Ancient Israel was waiting. They knew that this is a foreshadow of what was to come that at the threshing floor, there would be an encounter between Yahweh and the king. A king would come before Yahweh with a sacrifice. And when this king came before Yahweh with a sacrifice, the sin that we have all suffered from, the pain, the suffering, the pestilence, death, all of it, would be confronted at the threshing floor. And it's at this threshing floor that the altar would be presented. And at the altar would be a sacrifice. The king would bring a sacrifice that would heal the land. Israel is waiting for that king. It's about the kingdom. And if it's about the kingdom, then there needs to be a king. And if there's going to be a king, we must let that king rule. And when that king rules, he will bring the sacrifice. And when he brings the sacrifice, the land will be healed. This is what ancient Israel is waiting for. And this is what Israel hopes to see in the next book. When we get to first kings, we're going to hear the story of all the kings that Israel was waiting for. And yet through all those kings, we're going to see the tension that you're a king, but you're not the king. No. You have a kingdom, but your kingdom is not the kingdom. And we're going to learn about the kingdom in the next two books, in First and Second Kings. So I'll see you guys then. Let's pray. Father, I just ask right now, Lord, as we stand before you, but to acknowledge, first of all, that we didn't get here on our own. Lord, that you are enacting your justice, your righteousness, your blessing, your glory through us. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that we would have the heart of David and the things that you've entrusted with, trusted us with, that we would be stewards of the kingdom, stewards of the kingdom that you have given us. But let's also have the confidence of knowing that while we fall short, there's one 
that stands before us as a sacrifice at the threshing floor. Lord, to address the brokenness of sins, the things that we do, the things that we commit, Lord, against you. And, and Father, I just thank you for your grace, Lord, that you're bringing righteousness and restoration and justice to us all. Lord, be with us today, Lord. Let us be encouraged to remember, Lord, that what Israel is waiting for, Lord, we have already received. What Israel is anticipating and, and that they've been waiting, this is a hundred years, hundreds of years before the real king, the true king, the servant king has come. And Lord, we watch the tension because many in our world are in this tension. So Father, we pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thank you so much. God bless you guys. I want to thank all the patrons who are with us. Um, for those of you who are supporting on Patreon that are patrons, thank you so much. Your monthly support is what's opening doors for what we're doing next. I'm I'm beginning to prepare Bible studies now. Um, I'm I'm letting some things go right now in my life because I'm being being given the ability to focus more and to prepare Bible studies for you all. So be ready for that. For those of you who are who are patrons, I'm going to be sending an update. Um, I'm going to post this read and rant on Patreon. So you'll be able to see it. Uh, I'd say about 20 minutes. You'll be able to see it on Patreon. Um, and so you can go back, read through if you missed it. Um, some of you now, you know, you don't wake up super early anymore because now you're like, hey, I'm a patron, so I can get it <laughs> right away. So I'll definitely post it there. But um, I am preparing some Bible studies. Uh, I'm beginning to, I think I'm going to take, there are times where I'll take a topical approach and there are times where I'm going to take just a scriptural, just going through a particular portion of scripture. But I do feel compelled to share with you some of the things that I've been sharing with people who have been close to me that I'm discipling right now. And what I want to share is I want to preach a series and maybe do a Bible study series on the church. And what I mean by the church is, what does the Bible say about what the church is? And what you're going to learn is that what the Bible says about what the church is, isn't necessarily what we see in the church today. The church isn't what many Christians think the church is. And so we have to now teach that. And I feel it's important that we teach that. So I'm going to do a series about what is the church. But before I do a series about what is the church, I need to use the scripture to deconstruct whatever we thought the church was. And so I'm going to be doing a series on what I call the golden calves of church culture, realizing that almost everything the modern church does today is actually not scriptural or biblical. Not to say they're bad. They're just not scriptural. There's no scriptural support for it. The Bible doesn't say you have to do these things, but that you must do these things. It simply says that you, um, we, we do it because we've, we've allowed culture to influence. Anyway, that's a side, side note. But, but I, I'm going to teach why the church does what it does today. Why is the church the way that it is today? And so I think it's important because I want to really spend some time in realigning your heart and your mind to understand that the church that you probably grew up in, because I know a lot of you grew up in church, the church that you grew up in looks nothing like the church in the Bible. And a lot of what we do in church today is nothing like the church in the scripture. We have golden calves in our church. Um, um, like, for example, the Sunday service. There's no biblical support to say that service has to be on Sunday or on Saturday. Um, you know, uh, 
the sermon, the Sunday sermon. You like that, right? Um, the Sunday sermon is another golden calf, as if the as if what makes a church a church, the Sunday sermon. That's not true either. Um, the church building. For most of you, you see the church as a place you go to, uh, but the church is not a building. And the church building is actually a pagan idea. It's not a biblical or a spiritual idea. Um, you know, uh, the pastor, we think of the pastor as the head of the church or the one who leads the church or who runs the church, not realizing that the Bible never taught that. These are things that we we let culture come in and influence what the church ought to be. So I hope we can journey through it and support all these things, right? To get actual biblical support for these things, not cultural support for these things. And I've said this before, almost everything that we've grown up doing in church is not biblical. Almost everything we do in the church is pagan-driven and culturally-driven. That's part of the reason why we don't see the church move in power anymore. And so, anyway, that's probably going to be my my first Bible study. Um, we're going to talk about the, the the golden calves of church culture. And then the other Bible study that I'll also be doing on Patreon is going to be, um, what is the church? So we're going to do a teaching on what the church is. And so I'm preparing a teaching on that. I'm still working on what platform I'll do it through, but it will be on Patreon. So for those of you who are patrons, you guys get first dibs on that. Um, and then and then um, I will be also doing a Bible study on Revelation because you guys have asked for it. And some of you have even messaged me on Patreon like, hey, I saw your read and rant. I, I watched your read and rants um, on, on Revelation, and I never read Revelation this way. And so I think we have to also teach that as well. So I'm going to do a Bible study on the book of Revelation uh, because for many people, the people believe the book of Revelations is about the end times and the tribulation, but that's not what the book of Revelation is about. Um, you know, people say it's about things to come and the only things to come are the last two chapters of Revelation. Um, the first 19 chapters of Revelation are about things that already happened. And so we read about the beast and the mark of the beast and all this. And then people go, oh my gosh, when is that going to happen? And I'm here to tell you it already did. The book of Daniel, I, I can also, and I'm going to let you guys also, so I'm going to run polls after I'm done with doing one Bible study. I'm going to also do polls with you guys on a monthly basis to see what you guys would like me to teach about and to spend some time preparing and teaching. And just to let you know, this is what becoming a patron, a patron does is it allows me to now pull away, take fewer hours at the university, and to focus more hours on just preparing material for you guys to be able to teach. And so um, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be awesome. So for those of you who have committed to that, I, I look forward to continue to impart and to teach. And so um, we're going to change the picture of the church. Uh, I believe that in the United States, the church that you see, that you know today, will won't exist in the next 20 years. Um, before my lifetime, we're going to see a completely different paradigm of church. But then we're going to see an incredibly powerful move of God. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about that. Racism, that's another good topic. Um, you know, people say, well, the Bible promotes racism. And I love that. I think we need to do a Bible study on that. Um, the rapture. Ooh, man, you guys have good questions. We're, we're going to, I'm going to throw a poll out. I'm going to make some comments on Patreon. So follow me on Patreon. I'm going to, you know, make some comments on that and see what you guys are interested in. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of material and I'm looking forward. This is the first tier. After the first tier, I'm going to do monthly. But then once I get to the next tier of supporters on Patreon, I believe I'm 90, 
Oof. I believe I'm nine. I think, I think we're 96%. So we're almost at the first tier. And that's the promise I make. I think I'm already going to start doing the Bible studies, even if we're not at 100% of the first tier, because I've seen how you guys have responded by becoming patrons. But um, the second tier, once we get to about 90% or to 100%, once we get to that second tier, Bible studies will be weekly. And so I would love, yeah, LGBTQ. I know people have questions about that as well. Uh, man, you guys are, at, and I'm excited about this as well because it's going to challenge me. I think that's what I'm really excited about is that it's going to challenge me as well. Um, I have somebody, I have a lot of stuff in my head. I just never put them down on paper and organized thought. And so it'll be less ranting and more teaching. I know people say what I'm doing here is teaching and that's cool. I don't see what I do here as teaching. I see it more as just reflecting and ranting. I really have nothing cohesive. I'm just, just sharing some thoughts, but, uh, but I do, I, I plan on, you know, actually having more organized thought in the teaching so that way you guys can be able to learn and to be equipped and so and they'll be ranting in it ranting is just a part of my blood now it's just what i do but i want to at least be organized in my thought as i teach you guys so it gives me time to sit down and go okay all right we're going to do a bible study on the church what is the church <laughs> or a bible study on the kingdom of god what is the kingdom of god you know things like that um, and then we'll do scriptural studies. But yes, Revelation is going to happen probably after those two series. I'm going to do this, the the golden calves of church culture, and then I'm going to do um, what is the church. And then after that, and it's going to be great because when I do what is the church, it's going to actually segue very easily in just doing a study on the book of Revelation. We're going to study it chapter by chapter by chapter. We're going to break it all down. What are these weird creatures? What do they represent? What do they mean? Because um, the Bible already tells us what they mean. We don't need to go anywhere else. It's already in the scripture. And so just going through that, that's going to be exciting. And then the book of Daniel, which is very closely related to the book of Revelation. Um, I may also spend some time there as well to do some teaching on that. So anyway, we're going to learn together. I'm learning with you. I'm always learning. Yes, I've spent a lot of time in my study of scripture, but I'm always learning. And you guys challenge me to 